It's time for another episode of Pats from the Past podcast. Matt Smith with Paul Perillo, and we're pleased to be joined by former Patriots uh, personnel chief, GM. Scott, I know we don't get hung up on titles. Scott Pioli no. is here. No, we Thank don't you. get hung up on titles right. at all. Football czar. <laughs> right. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming in. This is great. We're really looking forward to it. Um, I think listeners who know a little bit about Scott Pioli and his tremendous success that he's had here in New England would be interested to know that there's a history between Scott Pioli and Paul Perillo. Oh, he, you're so, going here right out of the game. Right out of the shoots. Yeah. Right out of the shoots. Let's establish Scott Pioli is a professional ball buster is what he is. <laughs> okay. He's a little Andy Hart-esque. Okay. So our listeners know Andy Hart and his personality. Scott's got a little of that in him. Okay. So and he loves, says loves the to, guy from He loves right, to bring it up in the middle of like, right. you know, a group interview at the Combine in Indy in front of every single guy who's ever covered the Patriots. Right. So if you would, Paul and Scott, Let's let fans know where this history lies. Right, How so, did it start? So I'll tell you that one of my very, very best friends growing up lived uh, three or four houses down from me is a, a guy named Paul Karamanica. And absolutely tremendous athlete, uh, was by far the best athlete in our little area uh, of Everett. And as you know, Matt, you know more than you could tell everybody, Everett dominates. Like, yes, so that's right. To say he's one of the better athletes that came out of Everett is not like saying, you know, right. came out of, you know, no disrespect, Sharon. Right. You know? <laughs> Uh, so Paul was a very, very good football player, but a little on the small side. He ended up playing at Central Connecticut State, where he became teammates with none other than Scott Pioli, who's sitting right now to my right. Uh, so I, when I was growing up, I lived in a, uh, a house that we owned a bar room, and we, we owned a little restaurant bar downstairs. It was in my family for 75 years, uh, you know, so obviously long before I was ever around, and... Uh, there was uh, maybe some drinking that went on, you know, down down there in our maybe college years. And, uh, and, and Scott Pioli was, uh, you know, uh, lucky enough to frequent that establishment with Paul because they were really, <laughs> really good friends in college. And we were roommates. I actually lived with three guys from Everett. That's yeah. what brings us back. Yeah, and you know, again, you know, Everett, uh, a little bit, a uh, little different than most. We do things a little different. Uh, so, long story short, we'll go to I'd say roughly 1988-ish. Uh, and uh, Scott and Paul are at Beehive Stadium. Was yeah, that what it was yeah, called? Yeah. Down in New Britain, Look Connecticut. At you. Right? We're playing home, cent- home of the Brit Sox, yeah. the New Britain New Red Britain Sox. New Britain Red Sox. And, and I was pitching for Boston University at the time. So the Paul crafty was, lefty? Paul was all excited. He's like, yeah, you know, my, my, my buddy, uh, you know, is, he's going to be pitching today. So Scott. Paul, they're all out there, yeah, if, pa- I, if and I Ralph, imagine, with a keg. And, and <laughs> Ralph Marchand from Everett also. John Leet from John from Leet, Everett. who I actually played Little League Baseball with. Yeah, wow. I live with those three guys. Yeah. I live with the, the, the three Everett boys they were known as. Unbelievable. Yeah. So, uh, again, I won't dare uh, bore everybody with the details, but I gave up a home run that may not have stopped traveling yet. Well, that's what Scott uh, says, right? It's still going? Uh, I believe it went off the Marlboro Man sign. <laughs> I was just going to say, center. it was back in the day when they could have, like, the Marlboro Man. Think, right, I mean, right. think about it. This is the, I think it was 87, actually, and, and there was, you know, you could have. I'll go with 87. That was my freshman year. I, I wasn't quite ready yet. <laughs> and Hadn't developed. And there was this giant Marlboro Man, you know, on the horse in center field that went way up above the and it might have hit the Marlboro Man. That's awesome. It might have. So, awesome. so, so we were fast. so fired up. It was like, our, we didn't care. We were rooting oh, for God. Paul. Not, we and, were and, and we were, like, and I, you know a little bit about BU baseball. We were Division One in name only. We right. were overmatched in most games that we played against Division One teams. And Central Connecticut was very good in baseball at the time. 
So it wasn't like I was, you know, didn't belong. You know, it, it was a. They're like yeah. twenty nine and six right yeah. now. They, they, they were season. very, very good. good. Uh, very good program. And uh, we'll fast forward about twenty years. Scott comes here, you know, with, with Bill, uh, you know, in two thousand. <laughs> and so we, you know, sort of catch up. Yeah, yeah. No, I remember. I remember. And, you know, uh, because like, uh, if you knew Paul, like. Paul Karamanica's father is was best friends with Uncle Jack. Bob, that oh, tells yeah, you yeah, that yeah, tells yeah, you go. what kind Bob of Karaman. family got this it, is. Yeah. Okay, um, so actually Scott and I used to do a lot of speaking engagements for Bob Karamanica back in the day. But uh, so twenty years go by, and Scott and I catch up a little bit, and you know the years go by here, and obviously you know once we have that int- introduction, and Scott, I was on the pay no mind list after that, because, <laughs> right. You know, right? Even though I work for the team, I right. was part of the media, so <laughs> Scott couldn't <laughs> right. pretend that you know, oh, he's actually a good guy, you know, right. Bill. Right. <laughs> you know, you can you can talk. Well, to that's him. the thing is, I knew I was at least cordial, right? <laughs> right. And friendly would give you the hug, and right. so so we we go to the combine one year. Andy Hart and I are there, oh, and gosh. you know, it's the Globe Herald Pro. Joe, NBC Sports, Boston, Ness. I mean, like every single outlet, every single outlet in in New England covering the Patriots is there in this big scrum around Scott. And I come walking over, and he just interrupts everything. He goes, "Hey, Long Ball Paul, how are you?" <laughs> and everybody's like, "Oh, I have to hear this story well, now." That's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. That's and, great. And that's basically the long and short of uh, that's great. But you know, the professional he, ball busting nature. Of that's Scott. great. You know, but now, listen, he's putting the chop busting on me right no, we're I talking know. about anyone who's from everett i mean part of me becoming that way was because i live with three yeah, of yeah, these yeah. guys sure you know and that's that's all they did up there right was it was it the crimson tavern crimson tavern the crimson yeah, tavern they had a, at the time that you would have been there it, it, we had many many names but that's probably what it was yeah i remember there was there was a dartboard right there wasn't much to do i think it was pucks like shuffleboard yeah. and, and a dartboard and you know I got to play goalie my first night there. That's great. (laughs) That's great. So, Scott, thank you again for coming here into Foxborough. Let's catch people up, Patriots fans, to know what are you up to these days? Uh, I know people, Mm -hmm. you know, they see you on NFL Network sometimes, everything like that. Tell people what you're up to these days and and how do you like it? A a lot of things. I'm going to give a long list of things. So my my full-time gig is with the NFL Network. Mm -hmm. So I do work for NFL Network on air. Uh, We live back up in the area. And so I do 90% of the work from home, from my home office, which is fantastic. It's great. And, um, but I also do work for CBS Sports and CBS HQ and CBS News. And then I do consulting work for the league office. Um, uh, Troy Vincent has me doing stuff in football operations in the area of DE&I and the International Player Pathways stuff with Peter O'Reilly as well. Um, you know, Troy and Roger, they asked me to, you know, with my experience and my knowledge, to, you know, is there stuff that I could help with? And so I do some of that. And then I do some side consulting work for about six college football programs. Uh, you know, after I resigned from the Falcons in 2019, Nick Saban approached me. I, I had worked, Bill, Bill, Nick, and I, and that large group from back in Cleveland um, had all worked together. And, and Nick asked me to, um, you know, without getting into details, work on this, this project and meet with some of his players and advise some of his players on the side while also evaluating them. So that became a great it's a side gig that I have that's um, a consultant work. But it's great because it also helps me prepare for the draft. So I get to know these kids. I, Boutte, I, you know, I would do some work with, with LSU because uh, BK, Brian Kelly, who mm-hmm. going born back in to Everett. Everett. Born in Everett. You know, he denies it. What does he say? He's from Char- Charlestown? Well, I mean, it's I, I always, I'm like, BK, come on, man. He's it's, an Everett It's funny guy. that you mentioned this because we're working on our draft profiles right now, and we have 12 picks. That's a lot. So it's taken us a, a little bit, and we all had f- three writers, so we had four guys each. 
I have three of them completely done. The LSU one is the one that I haven't finished, and uh, the <laughs> the wide receiver coach was was recruiting, and the sports information director said he goes, I, I might be able to get Brian Kelly for you. So I actually used that. You and dropped I, the and, and card. I, I said, I said, hey, listen. I said, when you're talking to him, let him know. I, I grew up in Everett. He'll know what that means. I thought that might give me an in, but now you're telling me that that's probably why he hasn't called me. I love giving him a hard. So, so Brian uh, is, you know, he's one of the guys. I worked with him when he was at Notre Dame. Now working with you know, LSU is one of the schools that I work with. So I, I know your, your new receiver a little bit. Um, so th- those are the jobs. And then, I, you know, I work for a number. Uh, I'm on the board of a number of nonprofits, uh, the Women's Sports Foundation, Women Leaders in College Sports, uh, Black College Football Hall of Fame. I'm on the selection committee and also on the on the board. Um, I'm staying very, very involved in football, but just in a, in a different way right now. It sounds great, Scott. You look great. You seem Thanks. happy, which really lo- looks refreshing. And you know this, the media part of what you're doing as far as your job. Mm. Our our, I guess, exposure to you, hmm. and you grew up in a system where it's one voice. Yes. And we're not going to have a lot of people talk. And now you're on the other side of that, you yeah. know? It's kind of, it has to be very interesting for you to, like, I don't know if people are trying to probe you. Hey, Scott, we want you to be our information guy, or we want your opinion. But that's kind of an interesting dichotomy to go from something where it's it's one voice. You might have been the voice, or we're letting people be the voice in Kansas City and places like that. How, how have you uh, dealt with that oh. kind of uh, – uh, what's the word that I want here? You know – the ability to try to get information well, or to communicate yourself because I'm, I'm seeing it from I've seen it from both sides and and here's going back let's go historically or chronologically you know I absolutely 100% completely believe in the one voice concept I really do um, it was that way you know when I started in the NFL with Bill in Cleveland it was that way you know when I went to the Jets with Parcells and Belichick and then it was that way when we came here and and the reality is when I was young I not only did I believe in it I I honestly didn't want to do media stuff um, and the r- simple reason was because I, I had seen too often people unintentionally or intentionally say the wrong thing do the wrong thing harm their club harm the players you know, um, I think people, when you're put in a situation, you're asked a question, you want to answer it honestly and the best you can. But you realize sometimes answering things honestly can compromise the program. It can compromise, you know, the player's health, a player's, you know, ability to compete. So I always believed in it, and um, and I still believe in it. And I also think it's funny, We uh, I'll share a little bit of what, to, with, with the fans, what we were talking about off air. You know, when I was asked to do this, the funny thing is, in all those years that I didn't do it, and even when I went to Kansas City, it was very funny. I was a general manager, and I went to a place where the former general manager, Carl Peterson, he was the face, the voice of the. He was almost like the owner. He had his own TV show, he had his own radio show, he had all this stuff. So when I went out there, this is one of the things I did a really poor job of of thinking about and preparing for. There was this expectation that I was going to be out there giving more information, whereas I was from the mindset, even though I was the general manager and in charge of hiring the head coach, my plan was to go out there, hire the head coach, and the head coach was going to become the voice and the face along with the players. I was going to just go out there, do my job. My job was to, again, oversee things, manage things, draft, 
free agency contracts you know all the stuff that i need to do but to fade into this because people don't care about general managers they don't care about vice presidents of player personnel maybe they do but they don't and so it wasn't something that i wanted to do so it fit perfectly with the program that bill and i were on while i was here yeah. i didn't want to do the work i remember you, you know it's funny because paul and i knew each other and there were times and moments i know he was frustrated with me because we were friends we had this but i also quite honestly didn't want the exposure even when we were having success it, it just wasn't my gig the funny part is I got my bachelor's and my master's from from Syracuse, the Newhouse School in communications. And here, you know, I knew the industry, you know, from an academic standpoint, but I didn't know it. And I think the the other part is this. I um, when I got on the other side and started doing this and, and I'll share what I, I told you guys earlier. You know, my thing was this. If someone wanted to hire me to have me talk about my experiences, about processes, about systems, about maybe why people make decisions or why they make certain draft choices or how they build their boards or what, you know, even stuff in season and game that I knew about game planning and coaches and preparation. Great. But I, I refused and I, and I told my bosses, I refused to be a mean person because you can do this job without being mean, without being snarky, without being, you know, I think when people get snarky, they're just trying to be the smartest person in the room. Yeah, I'm pretty snarky At sometimes, I have to admit. But are, I, I, are don't, I don't do it on purpose. Are you? But it's, I do it more in fun, not like, it's not cheap shot. Not, it's not it's, cheap it's, shot. Yeah. It's yeah, kind of yeah. like, and, but that's the, Paul, it's really funny you say that because I've had to stop myself because yeah. I don't, and, and when you do it and, I, and, and you, you're not necessarily, I said be the smartest guy in the room, but sometimes you're just trying to be funny, right? right? You want to make people laugh. It's yeah, kind of right. like that locker room yeah, thing yeah, right. and the chop busting. And so I just don't want to do that because, again, it, it, as well as things went here, um, I also failed epically. You know, I got fired. I went through it. I And even when we were having success, you know, I watched Bill and his family go through some stuff at different times before we started having success. I, I remember the 5-11 and 11 season. I remember the 1-3 and three start. I remember what Bill and his family were going through at the time. And when, when you're in it, you have a different perception or perspective, I should say, of what words can what public words can do to people and humanity. And I'll, I'll stop there, but it's just – but I love the job. That's because great. They, they, I asked, I told them, listen, please allow me to educate, not speculate. Yeah. Don't ask me who's going to win this weekend. I have no idea. Don't and I'm win, not who's going to win the AFCS uh, East. I don't know. Right. That's why they play the game. And in all seriousness, I know, you know, and I've teased you about that a lot about like, oh, you had to pretend that you didn't know me anymore. And, <laughs> and I do it. I don't do it as much with Bearish, but Bearish and I played baseball right, together at BU, so we also knew each other. Yeah. Again, that's the snark in me, which you're, you're talking about. I understood, I, I, and I understood from day one that and it's you, different. And, but, and I know the, you know, I don't want to, pressure's probably not the right word, but I know the, the pressure from Bill in, to make sure that you are in line. You don't want to be the reason why it's not one voice. And then when you're one of the so other I, leaders, you're keeping other people and in I totally, well. I totally understood Absolutely. it. I still understand it to this day with Bears. I always, you know, and Matt and I talk about it, and I, and I do say it to him sometimes, like, you know, Sometimes I was just saying hello, you know, like I wasn't, I, you know, not every time I talk to somebody, am I looking to find out what the game plan is that yeah, week? Right. You know what I mean? But believe me, as much grief as I've given you over the years, <laughs> I've understood I knew it, it wasn't personal from the first day you were right. here. I understood it, because right. I knew if it was real, you would have been much differently. And right. you, and, and that's the thing about, you know, one of the biggest things about the, the, the Patriot way is compartmentalizing and compartmentalizing 
the game, your life, relationships, and um, it, it's a blessing and a curse at times. No question. And and it's sometimes you have to act and behave in certain ways because you got you have to weigh it on your own scale. Okay, am I, you know, do I walk away from this situation, this circumstance, this person? It's going to be uncomfortable. I don't feel good about it. However, I have a responsibility to 53 people in the locker room, and it's beyond that. Right. It's to how many employees? There's 100 other employees here, right? I, truthfully, there's a responsibility to you guys because you're a part of this team as well. You're a part of this organization. And, you know, the more success that was had on the field, the better everyone lived. So if it you just always knew that there was a downside. And again, I think all of us at different times acted and behaved in ways that we weren't wanting to and or proud of, but we just knew that, you know, sometimes, you know, sometimes the modes, the, the roads don't meet. Right. Here's a, a life lesson that I want to, uh, I want fans to know, Scott, because I do think it's a life lesson. It happened to be in the business of football for you, which is where you got your start. Um, I don't know. I don't think that you, coined the phrase slappy i think it's a great <laughs> word i don't know if you can use it you know in 2023 you can um, use slappy you just can't yeah you use can't use the, the, uh, the other full part of it. term right, right. The, the proper term right but 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 if you would tell tell people patriots fans you know it's not like your dad got you know knew this person and got you here or yeah. you know you were a heisman winning uh, athlete or anything like that. Should've you been. came from a very <laughs> humble background that I think most people in whatever business they choose to be in can learn something from how you got into this business. Well, it's um, gosh, I could I could talk a lot about this, not and not meaning about me, but just the circumstance and the situation. Yeah, you're right. I, uh, you know, my 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 father was a blue collar worker. We we didn't know anyone. We didn't. You know, all, all I knew is I love football. I went to Central Connecticut, which when I went there at the time was Division Two. We kind of moved up to one double A, kind of, kind of didn't, whatever. I, I'm not sure we were in this. My last two years were in this space. We don't know what we were. Uh, we were playing one double A schools and Division Two schools. And so, uh, you know, I knew that I was going to go to college and play football, found out and realized I wasn't good enough that I was going to go next. So I knew that I wanted to coach football. I knew I wanted to stay in football. I just had this conversation with this this server um, waiter last night about he was talking about academics and he was on a gap year and I said and I was just encouraging him listen school's not for everyone and the truth be told school was not for me school was not for the three Everett boys either <laughs> we loved football and it wasn't big time football but it was the purpose that we were in college for then we found our other purpose then we realized the importance of an education and and the network that grows from being in that environment and growing up and finding yourself and I think you know after I w left Central Connecticut I had a GA job at Syracuse was at Syracuse as the O-line graduate assistant coach under coach McPherson at the time Mac. To, to, oh, coach Mack I'm telling you what um, one of the most powerful important and influential people in my life wow. in those two years um, I, I could go on and on about coach Mack and the beautiful things that he did for people and he was a tough man Old Town, Maine, tough, but, you know, a heart of gold. 
And then after that, you know, I took a GA, uh, after the GA job, I took a job at, at Murray State University, which was at, at that time, I think I was 24 years old, and it was a full-time 1AA job. The racers. Back, the racers. The racers. Back when it was still called 1AA, it's now yeah. FCS. And I had my own room. I was going to be the offensive line coach. Now, the thing was, I had to take this job, and for the first six months before I got paid the full-time salary of $18,000 a year, the first six months, because they had fired people and the budgets were much smaller, I worked month. My monthly salary was $384.72. A month. A month. And which was okay, because in Murray, Kentucky, you could actually get an apartment for $200 a month. Right, right. But it was great. I mean, I was down there alone i was single the only single guy on the staff so the coach gave me every job that was a good job and every job that was a bad job so i had my own room the offensive line i was the liaison with the equipment people and the weight room so i had to work on those budgets so i was learning things i was the recruiting coordinator i was given the mississippi jucos the texas jucos i had never been to mississippi texas those experiences in those places helped me later on when i'm working in personnel as a scout and as it goes on, a couple of years later, when Bill got hired at the Browns, now backtrack, I had met Bill not because of entitlement, not because of – I just met Bill through a mutual friend. And when we met, I, uh, not getting into the story, he realized how passionate I was. He and I actually stayed in touch while I was f- going through college my last two years, you know, with letters and an occasional call back when letters were written. Right. I'd get an, right. I still got some of these postcards from when Bill was on vacation. You know, he was a, Bill's a writer, you know, and, and when he meets people that he will write letters, he will write postcards, he will write notes. It's one of the things that that, that I learned and, uh, you know, and still try to follow up with myself because two of the people who, who I consider to be tremendous coaches and didn't lose their way um, Bill and Kirk Ferentz. Kirk Ferentz still writes handwritten notes all the time. Anyway, um, we stayed in touch. And when he got that job, he, you know, he offered me a job. And I'll never forget, I came up for the interview. I interviewed. And he comes to me and says, listen, I don't know what, what the full job is. You're going to do everything. If we need you to go, you know, pick up lunch, you're going to pick up lunch. If we need you to go get guys to the airport or get them to a, a physical, he said, we need you to had games, you know, tape, watch film. It was still filming, or it was actually just the beginning of beta tape. And um, whatever you need to do, and I'll never forget, he looks at me, just remember, the more you can do, the more you can do. And I sat on that, and I was like, yeah. And at the time, he says, I don't know what the salary is. Do you want the job or not? And I'm like, hell yeah. You know, let's do this. And he says, okay, sleep on it, but let's talk the next morning. Come back the next morning and... He says, listen, I still don't know the, 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 the full job description. I still don't know the title. I don't know. It was all, he gave me the list of things he didn't know. He says, the one thing I do know is I can pay you sixteen grand. Do you still want the job? I'm like, yeah, let's go. And this is 1992. Now, sixteen grand. you know, people say, oh, I was back in 1992. Sixteen grand wasn't, wasn't very much money then either. And it, it just. That's what I was making in 1992. I know how little that right. is. Right. Sixteen six. And living I was making that year. Right. So it's funny. We just moved full-time to Nantucket. That's where we make our home now. We, we make our full-time year-round home at our summer home, what was our summer home. And we run packing, and I came across some things. I'm a, my, I call myself a historian. My Your wife what? calls me a pack, pack rat. rat. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and uh, I, uh, I came across some stuff in this little Cleveland folder I had, and I had in there the receipt from the city of Cleveland. They used to give these heat grants where I received – Five hundred dollars 
the winter of 1992 because I qualified. And we actually, I was living in this place that was subsidized housing as well. But, I mean, that's how it started. But, you know, if you love something, I mean, you talk about what you started. If you love something, that's one of the greatest lessons my mother and father taught me, who two of the hardest working people I've ever met in my life. They didn't love their jobs. They didn't love what they had to do. My, you know, um, and that was the gift that many of us have. You're talking about mentoring, Scott, and you're talking about yeah. running into a waiter last night or something about yeah. be passionate about what you're doing. Look, at it was simpler times back in the 90s, okay? You could get away with offering somebody almost literally nothing mm -hmm. to work a 1,000 hours. You didn't have to worry about labor laws, human resource departments, anything like that. But I, you know, I don't know what you're doing as you're mentoring people. To me, it's the best. I don't care what the business is. Get in, figure out a way, if you love it, and hopefully things will work out. And find the people that can help you grow, learn, and evolve. And that was the blessing. Everywhere I went, Coach Mack, there was a group of people. I mean, some of the co the coaches that came out of that group, our, our defensive back coach was Randy Edsel. <laughs> Clarence Brooks was the defensive line coach. George DeLeon was the offensive line coach. There was a staff there that was unbelievable. Jim Hoffer was the running backs coach. And, you know, along with that, you know, I get to my next job, there wasn't as much mentoring, but I was given this overload of work where I just had to figure it out and fend for myself. And then when I went to the Cleveland Browns with Bill, you know, the, the, Bill was the head coach, so I spent, yeah, did I, did I have some interaction with him? Yeah, but I had more of a friendship than, than a work relationship with him, right? And, and But that never showed itself in the workplace. But one of the things that we had, because what the Browns were trying to do at that point in time, there was an, this old group of scouts that were on their way out the last couple of years, so they were infusing the organization with a bunch of young people and in the scouting department. But the people that were the that, that I learned scouting from, Dom Neely, who was, again, Dom Neely ended up working for Bill Polian for 100 years, you know, Super Bowl rings, both in Carolina and in, um, in Indianapolis, and... Ozzy was on the scouting. Mm. Ozzy Newsom was on the scouting stuff. He had just retired. Um, Tom Dimitrov Sr., Thomas's dad. Mm -hmm. You know, Ernie Plank, who was one of the he was one of the great scouts of the 49ers during the Bill Walsh years. You know, there was, you know, um, Bill Schunkweiler. There was this group of old dogs. An another guy by the name of Ron Marciniak, one of my all-time favorites. And every year during training camp, we would have to spend the entire, the young scout would have to walk around like a puppy dog with the old scout. And you just learn how to do the job. You learn professionalism. You learn how to do things. And having mentors along the way and people that cared. And were they rough? Heck yeah, they were, they were old school football guys. But, you know, um, it, it was acceptable because that's how I was raised. You know what I mean? But the mentorship part is invaluable. And to me, that's one of the most important things you know, you know, I was asked recently, you know, what are you most proud of in the, in, in, in the time that you were at the Patriots? And, you, you know, and, and looking back on it, it's the relationships. And, uh, you know, as you dig deeper on the relationships, it's, it's the people that I was able to hire and mentor. And you talk to them and, you know, when I, when I left here, I know that a number of them were still pissed off at me. Because, you know, I, I led them hard. And 
I still get calls from every single one of those guys when they got to the position, they said, I understand it more now. Because uh, did I fabricate some difficulty sometimes? Absolutely. But you know what? That's how I was raised. You don't think Belichick and Parcells fabricated some difficulty just to apply pressure? Sure. So when you get in that seat, you can handle pressure? And, you know, I look back at the list that got, you know, Josh McDaniels was selling plastics in Ohio when I hired him. People forget he worked in personnel the first couple of years. Mm -hmm. Brian Flores, you know, I offered him this job here at the Patriots two weeks before he graduated from Boston College because Tom O'Brien, who I went to specifically, said, Coach, listen, I'm looking for a guy, you know Bill and I, who can put up with us, who loves football, is really, really smart. And truthfully, at the time, I said, I don't want him to look like me, though. And he said, I got your guy. That's and he gave me Brian Flores. And after Brian Flores, it was Dewan Daniels, you know, the BC3. Then the next BC guy that I hired was Ryan Poles in 2009, who's now at the Bears. I hired mm -hmm. him. And, in, 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 you know, John Robinson was a graduate assistant coach, you know, down in, in – oh, my gosh, I'm, try, I'm totally blanking on the school he was at. Nickel State. You know, Jason Light. Bob Quinn was was an intern. He was still going to UConn when I got here. He was finishing college internship. So I look back at the relationships, and um, you know, Nick Casario is coaching receivers at like Saginaw Valley State or something. I look back at the relationships and the opportunity, and I feel grateful and thankful that I was able to hire and mentor people, not just by myself. The mentorship wasn't just me. There was this group of people here that they all learned from, like I did, and that's. You know, when we all get done with this, the, the big man's not going to ask us how many rings we got, how many piles of money. He's going to want to know how we served no and question. how we served other people. No question. So, Scott, as you're talking through that, you know, we're you very humble beginnings. You get to a crossroad. That's Those are my words, so I don't know if that's actually accurate. But, you know, you end up going to the Jets. I'm assuming that's where you met your wife, you yeah. know. And here comes a decision time where you're employed by the New York Jets and Bill's going to leave to come here. And it isn't just you. There's a bunch of people to come. I have to believe that was probably one of the more challenging decisions that you made in your life. Let's talk about, you know, your willingness to throw in with Bill. Yeah, it's, um, you know, Bill gave me my NFL life. You know, Belichick. And, uh, you know, we're not because we're not talking about the Jets and the departure. That, so there's two bills. Right. It's um, it was it, it was complicated uh, for a lot of reasons and a lot of loves. I mean, you know, what people forget sometimes is Belichick was also the head coach of the New York Jets in 1997 for a couple of days. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. And during that time, I was still with the Ravens. Bill called me, called Mangini, called, called Ozzy and said he wanted to hire me and Mangini. We went there. And, you know. Bill, after the Cleveland uh, Cleveland time, he's, he and I stayed very close. And at the end, we got even closer before he was fired. Um, just talking about a lot of the things that you know, Bill loves information, and he loves to listen. And he wanted it, information from a lot of different people. Uh, fast forward to those three years in New York, you know, Bill and I had an office right next to each other. We had a door where we could walk without going out in the hallway. We'd go in between, and we, we just – and we did our jobs, but we also talked about the possibility of someday, somewhere, someplace in the future. Mm. And, um, you know, no promises, but just like, what would we do differently? What would we do? You know, and I was growing. You know, I was no longer the, the, the slappy. I guess once a slappy, always a slappy. <laughs> so, you know, but it was, I was a different level slappy. Right. Executive I had one, slappy. I had one more, I had one more stripe on my slappy. Right. Uh, so... 
when that happened, and I remember that day like it was yesterday, and I remember the meeting the day before Bill walked away, when Parcells called us all, because I don't know if I've told this story publicly, when the fax came in from Robert, it came in on my fax machine. Mm. So I had to walk the fax down to Parcells' office. So it was my office. You go out in the hallway, my office. The next door is Belichick's. The next office, the next door is Parcells. Walking that fax down, that's an executive oh. slappy. Yeah. That's an executive slappy. Executive to the head slappy. That's an uncomfortable right. slappy. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, and anyway, I won't get into the details, but Parcells hastily calls a staff meeting. He resigns in the staff meeting within like an hour. And... Belichick's the head coach. Belichick leaves the office for the day. And, um, you know, there wasn't a lot of communication. And the next day he comes by my, you know, he walks by my office as he's headed to the press conference and just gave me a look, said a couple of words that, you know, a couple of words. <laughs> Heads and, up. You might want to watch and, this. <laughs> and, uh, and I knew he wasn't, something was off, and he went down there, and he resigned, and he left. Now, we also lived, like, maybe a mile from one another up in this. And I remember being like, anyway, I, <laughs> it's, um, he, you know, the whole thing goes on with, with Bill, with Parcells, Belichick, their crafts, and right. that whole thing gets sorted out. And then um, Bill and I decided to stop communicating, you know, because I, I felt like something might, it was just, we need to stop communicating. But then a couple of days later, after it's named, what happens is, <laughs> this is, I'll tell you, I leave the office one day, and Belichick and I hadn't communicated, all right? This is Hempstead you're leaving. Yeah, I'm leaving the office in Hempstead, yes. driving up to my house. I'm, yep. My wife and I, Dallas and I are married by yep. that time. And I'll never forget, I, I, by the time I left the office and I got home, I remember walking in the house and I hear my wife going, oh, yeah, Dad. Oh, Dad, he, he just walked. I, what's wrong? Mm. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> How, I was, walked th in. How was Thanksgiving and that this year? Is, <laughs> and this is when we still had landlines, right? Or at least the, and um, I, she gives me the phone. She goes, it's, it's my dad. I don't know what's going on. I, I'll, I'll, I'll leave out all the details, but essentially Belichick had just faxed and asked for permission to interview me and hire me for, you know, a job much bigger than the job. A I significant so, um, promotion. Yeah, significant promotion. Um and then the the awkwardness begins, and you know it's you've got this relationship. Bill's one of my closest friends. Uh, Belichick is one of my closest friends, dearest friends. We have this dream, this vision of what we might do, and um, and this team of people that we would want to pull together, and and I'm under contract. And the bottom line is what it came down to is I went to Parcells, and and it was several uncomfortable conversations and him up because I mean there was a lot of emotion involved and they, there was and I just remember saying to Parcells I said Bill if you're my father-in-law Bill's a dear friend that job is a promotion it's a better situation potentially for my future however you are my father-in-law I'm under contract I will remain here if you want me to remain here a and I'll say this for um, and you guys all know Parcells um, he turned around and said, you can go. And he didn't say, you can go and F you. <laughs> Piss on you. Yeah, no, he didn't. Because he, here's the other thing is, is you know, Parcells has this, he, he, he's at times complicated, at times he's not. And 
even after I left, as upset as he was with Belichick, as upset as he was with his relationship with Robert and Jonathan, he still advised me. Advised me on how, you know, with, with thoughts on being successful. Right, he didn't say good riddance, go ahead, you know, you know, and 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 also didn't go dark on me. Right, he didn't shut me out. He would continue to advise me, um, like a father-in-law, right? And or and and here we were, the competition. You know, if he could have backed up a truck over, you know, <laughs> some folks up here in Foxborough, he might have. But but, and he knew what he was doing, and he knew that I was good. You know, so. Yeah, it was a really complicated time, but retrospectively, um, it's one of the things, honestly, that I that I that I cling on to um, because I watched the difficulty of all the relationships and the people. But then I would have these private moments with with all involved, with Belichick, with Parcells, with Robert. You know, all people who had very complicated relationships and at moments a lot of frustration with one another. But then in the next breath, they'd be talking about the other person with reverence. Mm. And there was this wa- weird. It, and I, I definitely I, see that with Parcells all the time. Yeah. Like you, it can c- sort of. And I don't know him at all. I've never had a one on one conversation with him. But you could almost see like the there's a snap like where he's got that that shield up. And then all of a sudden he's like. Look what Bill Belichick has done because I'm proud of that. Like, I, you know, like it, it, instead of being resentful and jealous, and maybe it took years to get there. Maybe it wasn't right away. And I think you probably had a lot to do with that, Scott, with being that middleman and that mediator. And I, wasn't there a famous golf match yeah. that you golf. sort of set up? Right, well, well, yeah, where I got thrown off the golf course because yeah. the way I was dressed. Yeah, right. yeah that happened. <laughs> that happened. So I want to talk a little bit. And this is, I mean, obviously the, the dynamics of that whole we could do hours we on that. We could do the whole, the whole right. thing on, but I, I, I do want to get this, to real quick. There's this respect there, Paul. Yeah, you know what I mean. There's and and honestly, if you remember that that film, the two bills, they asked him, "Do you guys love each other?" Right. That was a moment, and the way that Kenny Rogers from NFL Films did that interview with him, I don't know if you know this. Kenny and I are. I would. Right. I'd like to say that I consider Kenny a friend, and he and I have worked on a. He's got more talent in the cuticle of my finger than I'll ever have, but I'm I'm honored to call him a friend. What he did during that moment when he interviewed the two Bills, the two Bills could see no one else. Right. There was a black curtain, and they, it was like the Wizard of Oz. So the the two of them could only see one another. Those were the only two people they could have this interaction, this human interaction with. And there was that moment. And, and here's the thing is, I'm not allowed to speak for both of them, right? Or for either one of them. That's one of what's one of the house rules. Sure. The, the family rules. <laughs> right. However, my instincts tell me they both love one another. No question. And I'll put Robert in that threesome. No question. And again, you know, brilliant people, driven people, great leaders, alpha types. You know, sometimes it's when you're dudes, man, and you have all that testosterone, it, it gets complicated. Anyway, I'm sorry, Paul. No, I, I, I like like Matt said. I think we could do the whole thing on just, you know, 2000, you know, mm. the, the year the year 2000. So you, I mean, you get here, and obviously it was a little bit of a transition. They had had a lot of success in the mid mid and late 90s, yeah. but it was 
it was going in the wrong direction. And Matt, that's when there actually was a salary cap that Correct. actually Correct. you know impeded teams from doing things. Not like today. Right. Um, <laughs> I like to say that the cap is crap. Snark. And I get. I get. Snark. You know, that, that, that's that's the average snark. Um, but it's just so easy to work around, and it's so much bigger than it was when you and Bill and and everybody else involved was trying to piece this together in 2000. Frankly, and Bill Belichick has said this. He didn't have 53 NFL players. No, we didn't. So you you go from that. And, and, and do you remember that season? At one point in time, we actually only had 51 players on the 53-man roster. Absolutely. That's why he said it. two less practice squad players. Right. And, and, but four quarters. And he was asked about it. <laughs> we'll get to that. <laughs> uh, he was asked about it. Um, you know, I think Brian and I, Brian Morey uh, and I, had like a little coach's corner we used to do with him yeah, once a month. That. And we asked him about it, and he gave one of those off the record when he's leaning over the chair. He's like, yeah, <laughs> one of these jobs. And he goes, yeah, we, we didn't have 53 players. Like, it was as, as brutally honest an answer as you could get. They had 51 players on the roster because they didn't feel like they had 53 worthy of being on an NFL team. Right. It, it, Paul, and I'll add to that, not only worthy of being on an NFL team, one of the things we talked about before we came here when we got here was we were only going to have people that could be here and wanted to be here. So could we have found probably two more NFL quality players? Absolutely, but here's the deal. If you didn't want to be with us, we ain't mad at you. Just go somewhere else. Thank you for downloading this podcast. Subscribe on Apple, Google Play, and everywhere else you listen. Like the show? Please rate and review us. Listener comments and ratings help keep us high in the podcast rankings so new listeners can find us. Be sure to check Patriots.com for more news and more podcasts.